Hey guys, just before we get into it, conveniently today we have Ashley Joe coming to share with us uh, for the podcast. But Ash, you're actually uh, running at the leadership stream at the big weekend entitled Holy Ground. What are you doing? It's going to be really cool. It's uh, Dan and Dan McGowan and I are leading the stream, um, and we've got a team of people who are putting together what we're going to do. Uh, I'm really excited. I reckon God's got a lot to say to a lot of our leaders. Uh, we want to upskill them, and we want them to remember um, that it's all about leading the way that Jesus leads. Awesome. And if you haven't noticed, guys, there is a video on our Facebook page, so please go check that out. There's also a creative stream video as well as well as a leadership stream video, but here's a taster of what you have to look forward to. If we all led the way that Jesus led, can you imagine the change that would occur in our ministries? I honestly think we'd see revival. You'd see people doing whatever it took to make sure that God was glorified, whether it was something as um, mundane as having um, a God-centered conversation or cleaning something or packing chairs, stacking chairs, which is what we know so much of our ministry is about. But if we, if everyone adopted um, a servant-hearted attitude towards leadership, I actually think we'd see a more unified church um, and we'd see the church grow because of it. Welcome to Generation Podcast, where we have real conversations about how God is working through this generation. My name is Josh Mann, and joining me today is a very, very special guest, the one, the only, Ashley Lee Joe. Hello, happy to be here. That's good, it's good. What you up to today, Ash? Uh, I just finished work, um, but really excited to get into this uh, into this podcast. This is an awesome topic. I'm excited. Awesome. So in terms, you just said you've just finished work. What do you do for a job midweek? I work in the marketing team at Anglicare. I um, get to do a whole heap of things, but I work a lot with their uh, their youth initiative, Take Love, and I also get to um, do stuff with their volunteering department, fundraising, missions and partnerships, a whole lot of a whole lot of great stuff. Awesome, awesome. As well as that, Ash is one of our members of our teaching team that have been putting together this podcast over the last three months. We also have Sam Heinrich in the studio today, just having a geese. Up the interns. <laughs> uh, he is another one of our members of the teaching team. It's awesome to have uh, him in the building today. Uh, the reason why Sam Haywood isn't here is he is actually over in Fiji. He's good riddance. Good, <laughs> good riddance. He's actually over uh, on mission with as part of uh, our Year 13 program, M28, uh, it's called, and he's serving over there with some of the students that have just finished school last year so we ha- we don't have sam but we do have ash and why don't we launch straight into it uh, this episode we're talking about control and the idol of control now it's a huge topic it's one that i can sort of attest to i can really uh yeah really uh i know i need to talk about it firstly uh, it really speaks to me the research that we've that we've uh, been doing so before we get into it what is the idol of control, Ash? Well, I think the idol of control is something that a lot of us would definitely struggle with. Uh, I see it as sort of being like made up of two parts and it's the idea of um, control is wanting to orchestrate a particular outcome, but not only that, it's also about wanting to dictate exactly how you get there. 
So control is wanting to orchestrate the outcome and dictate how you get there. Okay. All right. So we're talking about uh, controlling what? What outcome are we trying to control in our world, do you think? Uh, any any outcome really. It could be something whether we've got we're planning for the future and we've got an idea of what the perfect outcome for a scenario is. That might be in terms of career. It might be in terms of relationship. It could even be in terms of what um, – it could even relate to ministries or um, – other like church activities. Uh, but the idea is that we've got a particular idea of what we think the best outcome is and we're really committed to that. Um, so we'll do everything that we can to make that happen. Okay. Yeah. So we have something set in our mind when whatever aspect of our life that is, whether it's work, ministry, uh, relationships, and we do everything we can to try and make that happen. Yes. Because we think that is the best outcome. Okay. And the problem with that is that we're not God. Correct. Right? Yeah. So we're talking about idols is making a good thing and turning it into a God thing. And I think that's what we do with control. Mm. Uh, control is, is meant for good. God gives us control. And we're going to be talking about that a little later on for a specific purpose. But it's when we try to take all of that. Correct. When we want that ultimate control. Yeah, wow. Okay. And then also to dictate how you get there. So mm. we have an outcome in mind. Does this idol also delve into, you know, the practical steps you can take to get there as well? Yeah, definitely. I think we often, and throughout the Bible, which we'll get into, you see people or even God saying, this is what I've called you to do. So you sort of know the what the end outcome is going to be, but we really have our own ideas about how we're going to get there. And so we want to control um, aspects of the journey as well, not just what happens in the end, but how we get there. Yeah, well, I love that definition because it, the outcome could be God-inspired, could be led by the Holy Spirit. Mm. For example, in ministry, the outcome may be to uh, to disciple your students so that so that they then lead when they finish school, and that's a great outcome. That's a God-given outcome, but we can try and take control of that outcome by dictating exactly what to do to get there. Yeah, and so it's it's a twofold thing: or orchestrating the outcome, but also dictating how to get there. Yeah. Uh, and these two things, we're going to be talking about them later on in the podcast, but really important to get that into our mind. It's not just one holistic argument. We're talking about control. It's it's two things, orchestrating the outcome, but also dictating how you get there. Uh, and before we move on, when we're talking about control, uh, we're asking you right now just to suspend your beliefs about how much control one actually has. I know there's, there's so many theological arguments in this domain and this is not what the podcast is about. We're not going to go into the theological principles of control. Merely we just want to honestly assess whether we, whether you guys, idolise the feeling of being in control. Yeah, idolising that feeling because I think that's something that um, regardless of one's theological um, ideas, we can actually all honestly assess whether or not we idolise that feeling of being in control. Yeah. And why do you think we love that feeling then? The feeling of being in control? Yeah. I think we love it because it gives us a sort of like the sense of security. We're able to, when everything's in control, we know what's happening, we know when it's going to happen. Um, and, yeah, it eliminates some, to some degree, an element of fear for the future it gives us this security that we really like, um, and it's also it's also a pride thing because yeah. we 
we feel as though we've got the best idea of what should happen and how it should happen. Yeah, well, so it's almost really, really explicitly linked to security. Yeah. And when we're in control, we actually feel secure. Yeah, I think we feel secure. Um, yeah, definitely. But I'd also say I'd, I'd say that really it comes down to, it ultimately comes down to pride. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Um, so thinking about how control plays out in our society, uh, we've, we've nailed down a few different definitions of control, but explicitly how does this play out within our world, within our community, within our church? How, how have you seen this playing out? I think society and the social norms that exist today, it's really shaped this idea of um, people seeking control and really wanting control. Um, there are three things that really, really stand out for me. Uh, the first one would be just the over overwhelming amount of choice that we have. Like, honestly, the amount of choice that we have each day for like even small and mundane tasks is huge. I mean, you, you just go grocery shopping and you're like, cool, I need, I need to buy cereal great, that's one item that I need to buy, but what type of cereal am I yeah. going to buy? The home brand or, or cornflakes, yeah. the actual Kellogg's brand. Yeah, <laughs> like there's like there's just so many, like there's an aisle devoted to it. Um, uh, you think about uh, something as simple as I want to watch a movie. Cool, do you want to do that at the cinemas? Do you want to, um, if you go to the cinemas, are you going to see it um, like cheap seats or are we talking gold class? Yeah, cheap Tuesdays. Yes, <laughs> yes. Or and then what What movie are you going to watch? You know, are you going to watch a rom-com? Are you going to watch an action or a thriller? And then who are you going to watch that movie with? Are you going with friends? Are you going with family? Like there's just, we've just got so much choice. And so what that actually does, I think it creates this sense of entitlement in us because we, we get so used to being in control of so many different areas of our lives and being able to choose, to pick and choose based on our own preferences. Yeah, wow. So it it gives us that that sense of because we're in control of these little things in our life, when it gets to the bigger decisions in life, we feel like we ought to have control over them as well. Yeah, definitely. We've got such an overwhelming amount of choice um, and they can be little decisions. It could be choosing where to live. It could be choosing where to study, what to study, um, who to have relations with, relationship with, who to have relationship with. <laughs> like we've just got so many choices and it creates that sense of entitlement. Yeah, wow. And we all know that one friend who you always ask, what are you going to do? Like, I don't know, you choose. <laughs> so true. <laughs> That's now, you. It's never helpful. It's <laughs> always you. It's because I don't want to offend anyone. <laughs> Too nice. <laughs> but... Well, I still idolize control, so you I don't do. know why. Yeah, I don't know why I say that. It's maybe fine. I try and mask the idol of control by letting other people choose the little decisions in my life. Yeah, maybe. That's the thing I need. That's deep. That's therapy. That's I need to. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's that's a really good observation that you know because we have choice over the little mundane things in our everyday life. When it gets to huge decisions, we feel like we have to control them. Uh, when it can, when it comes to our health, we feel like we ought to control our health when. In short, we can't really. There's going to be things that pop up that are out of our control. Hmm. And when they do, do you think the fact that uh, when, if, when they do pop up, does that sort of break us? It can certainly rattle us. Hmm. I think that um, as soon as if we've, if we've got this sense of entitle entitlement that we should be able to choose um, everything, little decisions, big decisions, um, 
it means that as soon as that choice is taken away from us and all of a sudden we end up in a situation um, that's completely out of our control or something that is um, something completely unexpected, we we get rattled. It can we can it creates fear. It can create anxiety. Um, and if we're not if our grip has been so tight on having that control, um, I think it can really derail us um, mentally, emotionally, um, and definitely spiritually too. Yeah, wow. Um, and just on that, just a little side note, Netflix, they they took off, they got rid of Prison Break, which is arguably the best TV show <laughs> of all time. Agreed. Best TV show yeah. of all time. And when I found when I found that out, I was sad for like 10 minutes, but still it it broke me a little bit because I, I now can't choose to watch Prison Break any time I want. Yep. And it's a little decision like that that was taken away from me. Yeah. For 10 minutes I was just like, because I wanted to choose whether to, to watch it at any moment. Yes. But now I seemingly can't hmm. unless I go buy the DVD series, but nobody's got time for that. <laughs> um, and so we've got this overwhelming choice. Mm-hmm. But also the digital age has come into it as well. 100%. I reckon the digital age is probably one of the second biggest thing that actually fuels our desire for control because we're living in this era where we we can like effectively create this own universe based entirely on our own personal preferences. Yeah, wow. And so uh, we did touch on this when, when we are talking about relationships where social media has actually uh, – it's enabled us to cultivate our own friendships, our own worlds or universes, as you say, that we can choose who we want to spend time with. Mm. We can choose who we want to look at in our in our feed, whether that is sports for me or surfing for Sam Heinrich, who's sitting in here, uh, or cars or rodeo. No, this is like <laughs> he's just an eclectic guy. Can't really put a put a thumb on it. But uh, we can we can cultivate these relationships. We can cultivate these universes and choose exactly what we want to see. And again, it's just humans having control over more aspects yeah. of their life. It sort of it facilitates it. So we've got this desire to control things because of the overwhelming amount of choice we have. And then the digital age actually helps us make that possible. It has created this uh, this place where you can do things when you want, how you want, view what you want, that sort of thing. And yeah. so it just exacerbates the problem. Yeah. Um, it, not that the digital age is bad. No, it's great. But it it certainly can def, like facilitate um, us idolising control. Correct. Well, yeah, it's just within our mentality mm-hmm. where we're driven and where when, uh, where we learn to get what we want when we want Yes. now. Yeah. Right. Uh, even when you order something online, it takes three weeks to get delivered. Yeah. It's that's, annoying. That's rubbish. Yeah. Three weeks is terrible. Yeah, I know. I'm like, next day delivery, please. Correct. Day off now. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Three hours later, pause. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But <laughs> when that doesn't happen, because we're not in control of that, mm. we lose our mind. Yeah. Like three weeks, you just said, How oh. How dare they? <laughs> exactly. But we're not in control of that. Therefore, part of our psyche is, is damaged. Yeah. Because we're so, we're trained to control everything in our life mm. from what the world, what messages the world sends us. And because of this, there's been a whole genre of literature mm. and TV shows and, uh, you know, reality that has come out of that. It's the rise of self-help. Yeah. 
Uh, Anna, you love this genre. Oh my gosh, I'm like I'm all about it in a terrible <laughs> way. Like things like um, I love watching Queer Eye and I love watching Marie Kondo. Like after I, I watched that, Marie, I love it. yes, she's I I cleaned everything. Yeah, I was good. like, what what I need to do is control my physical environment and the space that I live in. And if I get rid of all these things that don't spark joy, then I'll be happy and then I'll, yeah. And so I, I bought into that. I loved watching. I reckon I watched the whole series in a day. I still haven't watched the, an episode. Okay. Well, it's, I, I recommend, I don't know. <laughs> you of all, <laughs> you of all people. Man. <laughs> <laughs> How's everyone feel about the new musical intro? <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty good. So, guys, we're going to get to know Ashley Joe a little better. Uh, when I first met you, I thought your name was Ashley Joe. Yeah. Okay, but then I re- when I realised it was Ashley Lee Joe, my world was torn apart. Yeah. It's Why? pretty huge. Why? Well, well, my parents just didn't really think it through, did they? <laughs> they were going to call me Haley, but that wouldn't have actually solved the problem. <laughs> I think it's because they had my middle name in there. So it was Ashley Page, Maylan Lee Joe. Wow. Hold on. How many names is that? So Meilan is my Chinese name. Wow. Right on. Yeah. But no one calls me that full name. So it's just Ashley Lee Joe, which okay. is a bit of a tongue twister. So Meilan. Meilan. Yeah. Meilan. Is that, is, isn't that the movie? Oh, no. Mulan. Yeah, that's Mulan. <laughs> but hey, that's all right. <laughs> if I was going to be any Disney character, that's the one I would be. Actually. Yeah. Well, that's convenient. Yeah. Do you have any fun facts about yourself? We just want to get to know you a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fun fact. Um... I have never eaten Thai. Stop it. You live in Castle Hill. I know. And you have never eaten Thai. I've okay, never hold, eaten hold Thai. On, hold on, hold on. Okay, no, I'm cutting the music. Okay. Stop. What? <laughs> I have never eaten Thai because I have a pretty severe peanut allergy. And so eating at a Thai restaurant is like going to a giant walk of death to eat. <laughs> well, I feel like that's fair. Okay. Yeah. No, well, you can, you can ask for no peanut sauce and no peanut oil. Yeah, but like if if like something if a one spoon was used in a wow. peanut dish and then was used in to serve another dish, like it's just too contaminated. I feel like more people should be aware of this of you. That's crazy. Yeah, it's pretty it's a pretty bad allergy. But I'm looking forward to heaven because you know what? Hopefully God's got some Thai food that I can eat because I will be anaphylactic non-anaphylactic. I don't know. <laughs> I won't have a peanut allergy and it'll be amazing. That's crazy. Yeah. You never got well, to experience kin Thai. Wow. wow. No. Well, it's good. Pad Thai, haven't had it. Satay, wow. never will. Pat's you. Goodness. Well, thank you, Maylan, for joining us. <laughs> You're uh, welcome. Let's get back into it. <laughs> so how, how does the rise of self-help influence the idol of control? I think the rise of the self-help movement, um, it's sort of the whole premise of it is that you can do things yourself, you can help yourself and not rely on other people. And so we get this idea that we can put things into place that we can control that will bring about um, certain outcomes and whether that's controlling every aspect of your diet and exercise so that you look Um, like a superstar or whether that's um, controlling your physical environment or cleaning up your space so that you'll be happy. Like the rise of self-help, I think it just sort of exacerbates um, the desire to be in control of things because we've, it's become part of our social discourse that you can help yourself and you can do things on your own. 
Yeah, wow. And we don't need to surrender anything in our life over to anyone mm. else because we should be able to do it by ourselves. Yeah. I guess going back to our our, our um, two-point definition in um, control, the rise of self-help, self-help is both of these. We want to, we've got a particular outcome in mind. We're orchestrating the outcome, but we're also dictating how we get there. And with self-help, we're doing it ourselves. Yeah. And so these are the messages that society is sending us in terms of control. And this is part of the reason why we love it so much. We feel in control. We feel secure when we know what's about to happen, when we are in control of the outcome or in control of how we're going to get there. Um, has this been a, sort of a, an issue in your life or where have you seen this play out in your life? Well, when I started thinking about it more, I mean, I, I see it in a lot of areas of my life, but one that particularly stood out to me um, where I realised it was a bit of an, an issue. Um, so I go f- I go camping with my family um, fairly regularly uh, and we used to do this annual camping trip to Jindabyne. And so there's around about, there's around about 20 of us who go on this trip. And one of the, one of the people on the trip was auditioning for Survivor at the time. And she was like, <laughs> She was, she was trying to, she was trying to make the show and we thought, well, like, okay, we, what can we do to help? And so we thought, why don't we, why don't we practice? And so we (laughs) thought we'll play Survivor (laughs) over the next, like, however many days. Um, That is the best family holiday thing ever. My family's a bunch of weirdos and it's just, they, like when they commit to something like that, like they commit. Um, So there's around about 20 of us. Was there a host? Yes, so we had someone. <laughs> so we had we had someone who was who would sort of run things, and then we did little bits and pieces. So we had this That's so good, like. And when I say like we got into it, like I'm talking like my mum was sitting there making like little grass voodoo idol oh things that were to be the hidden immunity idols that we would that she hid around the campsite that this girl had to find to try and like you know. <laughs> and so we're like they're taking it so seriously, and we thought okay well, tomorrow, why don't we do a tribal council? And so we have to vote someone off the island. And and everyone's everyone's really, like, really into it. And so naturally everyone starts to sort of, like, strategize. And I'm going, guys, like, this is this is a no-brainer. There's, like, half of, half of the people here are adults and half are kids. Let's just make a kids' alliance. And so – and we would have – we had the upper hand. Like, we were – our numbers were just, like – Had the majority. Yeah, exactly. It was it was a no-brainer. Um, and so we start playing and, like, who, like who are we going to vote out? Um, but then some of the adults – who were just like getting really um, paranoid as well. And so everyone's <laughs> trying to play this game and I'm sort of ringleading the kids in this sort of like in our sort of like alliance. And so I start trying to just control the game. I'm like, guys, you vote for this person. Um, they won't see it coming. We'll do this, we'll do this. And just trying to orchestrate um, exactly how it's going to go down Um and even like who's going to talk to which which adult to make sure that they're like this person like thinks they're so thinks were, they've got the upper hand like oh my gosh you was, were playing the game I was ah. playing the game and just yeah got in way too deep and they were doing the same the adults were doing the same thing and so we get to this tribal council um, the host is like full on narrating <laughs> it like walking around we're all sat in a circle there's a campfire it's like full on and we cast our votes. And honestly, like rattled, 
I was the first person voted off the island. <laughs> the kids, they like wore down the kids' alliance and like, what? and people like traitors, full on traitors. Okay, oh, that's I'm. So good. I I've got my. I have a. Diary. Like a, <laughs> you didn't. You didn't. You didn't write about this in your I, diary. I wrote about it in my diary, and it's like a prayer. It's like a prayer journal. And so, honestly, I went <laughs> back and I found that I found the entry from the day after that I had been voted off. And listen, I was so. Anyways, here, listen to this. Okay, God, I seriously need your help. I feel so bitter. It's hard not to give people the cold shoulder. I seriously want to push. Hannah in Lake Jindabyne. God, please miraculously calm me down. It was just a game. And and it goes on a little bit, but I was I was so I was so rattled. And I I tried to control the game. I peaked too soon and was voted off the island. And so now people are like, oh yeah, new season of Survivor. And I'm just like, no, please. <laughs> I did not see the ending coming. That's great TV. Yeah. That's great TV. <laughs> but like, even though it was just a game. Because control was so embedded into our psyche, you were, by the sounds of that dire entry, the prayer journal, you were broken. I was a broken person. Just <laughs> just from a game. From a game. I know, way too invested. And so if that happened in an actual real life scenario, when the stakes were high, when your life was at stake or when your livelihood is at stake, that could, you know, be dire almost, right? Yeah, and I've I've had that multiple times in my life where I think you've thought something was going to happen a particular way and and what ended up happening was just so far from what you expected uh, and it it rattles you it um, derails it I've had experiences where I've been derailed emotionally um, and mentally to the point where I've needed to go get counselling for it. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And so when we're talking about this. I love control. We've already talked about it. it's it's deeply embedded into our psyche because of our culture, because of the things that we can control ourselves. So I, identifying the idol in our own life, um, Tim Keller has an awesome quote. I'm going to read it out for you. I reckon this is just hits the nail on the head when we're trying, trying to identify this idol. He says, life only has meaning and I only have worth if I'm able to get mastery over my life in the area of dot, 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 uh, you fill in the blank, whatever area that is. And that just hits now on the head. When, if it, if it is an idol in your life, you won't have worth, you will feel like you won't have meaning if you don't achieve that. Yeah. Um, and that's when you know it's an idol. Yeah, definitely. And that could be anything. It could be like it could be if I don't um, get mastery over my work life or my physical health or my relationships, any of those things, if you don't feel, um, if you don't feel like you can master that area of your life and you feel like life only has meaning and you only have worth if you get mastery over, over that, um, it's definitely a sign that control is an idol for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, and there was a couple of things that we wrote down in terms of trying to identify in our own life if it is an idol. Um, and there's two things that really spoke to me in this when we're chatting about it. The first one is if we're always thinking about our future, then possibly control is an idol for you. The fact if you're always thinking about the next step, then in your mind you're trying to control that. You're trying to orchestrate the outcome. You're trying to dictate how you're going to get there. 
because you're always thinking, okay, what is, what is the next step? And there is a fine line with that because there's nothing wrong. We talked about that in success last last episode. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be successful. It's just whose kingdom are you building, yours or God's? Um, and also a lack of contentment mm. may be a sign that it is an idol in your life. Um, and I think in my life, in my work life in particular, those two things come into play. Always thinking about the future. And, and in my mind, it's a, it's a conversation conversation that I'm ha- having now in my inner dialogue and with other people is, well, what's the next step? Hmm. And am I only saying that? Am I only thinking about that because I want to control it? Yeah. And that's where there's a tension because there's nothing wrong with being successful in your career, but where's the line? I don't know. <laughs> Can you tell me, Ash? Where, where do you th- I don't know. Where do you think is the line? I think the line is when you end up wanting ultimate control. We are not created. We're created to have control to a certain extent. God actually, um, he gives us, like he gives us choices for a reason. But it's when we start wanting ultimate control, when our grip is so tight that if anything happened that we didn't plan or expect, um, like if if our grip's so tight that if something something went wrong, we'd be completely completely rattled. Exactly, exactly, and it's also a, a heart posture as well mm. in that. Um, and deep down, you will know. Yeah, you will know if control is an idol. Yeah, um, and deep down, you will know where God wants you. If you're com- if you're constantly in His Word, seeking Him, then the Holy Spirit is going to be talking to you. The Holy Spirit is going to be ministering to your spirit, <clears throat> as it says. Um, and so also in desire to control every aspect of our lives, it can, we can almost ambush ourselves. Can you explain what that means a little bit? Yes. I think we actually, we ambush ourselves because we're, we're trying to control everything. And when we're actually not designed to have ultimate control, that's rapidly going to backfire on us because it means that we're, we're seeking after something that we're never going to gain. And we set ourselves up for failure because we're trying to achieve something that is impossible. We weren't created for that ultimate ultimate control. Wow. We're trying to create, we're trying to control something that's only reserved for God. Yeah. We're trying to get a handle of it. And that level of control over absolutely everything in our life is only reserved for God and not humans. Yeah. So in, in essence, God gives us control over the, the mundane things. But he gives us control over those things so that we can actually realize who is really in control. Because there's a point where, and you'll know in your life, there's a point where you don't have control over things. And when you get to that point, you're meant to lean into God. Mm. You're meant to realize, wow, it is only the omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent creator that is in control of all things and not us. Um, And so... When we're talking about the idol of control in the Bible, there's some there's three really explicit examples of this in uh, in God's word. And the first one, very very easily to spot, is in Genesis. Yeah, the fall. That is quite simply, quite simply, it is humans wanting control over the spiritual, wanting control over their life. And the moment where they took the apple, the moment where they ate the apple, it was saying, "We don't need God. We want to do that on our own." And I think that's the greatest lie of the enemy. Mm. The greatest lie of Satan 
is to tell us that we're in control. And that's precisely what he did in Genesis. In Genesis 3, the fall, he, he, Satan was telling him, you know, why don't you do this? Why don't you can control life and death? You know, why don't you take control of your life? And every day in our life, it's exactly the same thing. So it's acknowledging when, when that pops up, it's acknowledging, no, no, actually God is in control. And the second one uh, is Abraham, right? Yeah. Um, do you want to elaborate on, on how Abraham sort of fits into this? I think Abraham's a very good example of somebody who wanted to control uh, how control the journey, yeah. how they got there. Uh, God promises Abraham, you will be the father of many nations. And Abraham was like, oh, okay, all right, well, if that's going to happen, this is what I'm going to do to make that happen. And so instead of trusting that God would um, give him a son, uh, give him a child through Sarah, he goes and sleeps with Sarah's hand handmade yeah. person. Hagar. To, yeah, with Hagar um, because he's like, that's how I'm going to bring about the promise of God. And that's him wanting to dictate how how he got there, the journey. Yeah. Well, although the outcome was given to him by God mm. in quite a magnificent way, yeah. he was c- trying to control the journey. Yes. Um, and I think we can fall into that as well. Um, and I know – I've talked about my ministry life before um, on, on the podcast, talking about when I led youth. Um, I led a grade and I was constantly got, I con- constantly was telling me that just to be faithful to this grade, be faithful and you never know what would happen. And so that's what we're doing, just being faithful, being faithful, being faithful. But throughout the whole journey of leading them from year six all the way to year 12, there were so many times where I, I had to surrender control to God. Because I knew that he wanted me to be faithful to these students, but too often me and my leadership team were trying to do these little extra things. We're trying to uh, control the journey so it would fit what we wanted rather than what God wants. So although God can give you the outcome, we can try and control the journey, can try control the process. That's exactly what Abraham did. Mm. Um, and then I think arguably the biggest example of idolizing control uh, sorry, of knowing that we are not in control is Job. Yeah, massive. Uh, it's huge. And, and you see this in Job 1. He he had absolutely everything. He was the most, most righteous man in the world at that point. He was he had he did sacrifices for his children. That's how righteous he was, not just for himself but his children, his grandchildren, for everyone he sacrificed so they would be right with God. He was so rich. He was so successful in his business Yet, I think it's in the space of five verses in the book of Job, a servant comes in and tells him, you know what, your, your cattle have been stolen. The next servant comes in and says, your, your house has fallen down. And the last one in the, in the fifth verse of this uh, list, it says, your house has fallen down and all your family are dead. And so in the space of five verses, Job literally loses everything. Rough. And at that point... Surely he has to acknowledge that he is not in control. Absolutely. And as somebody who did look like he had most of his life in perfect control yeah, and then to have everything taken away from him, and I think something that we can really learn from this is that, well, you have the same amount of control over your life that Job did. You have the same amount of control over your life that Job did. You can have complete control 
to a certain extent, but because you are not God, everything can be stripped away. Wow. And that's, we, we need to understand that is that we have as much control as Job did when he was, when he was alive and when his estate got completely ravaged um, by seemingly what was, was a quick event in, in the Bible, but his world just to- was torn apart. And we can learn a lot from how he responds. 100%. So there's 40 chapters after that of him <laughs> literally wrestling with this. And yeah. I think it's really important that we we acknowledge that Job didn't all of a sudden quickly walk away from God mm. or he didn't all of, the, all of a sudden go, oh, yeah, I know God is in control. Mm. He wrestled with it. Yes. He questioned God and that's okay. Yeah, definitely. Because in my opinion, when you question God, you're not acknowledging that he's not in control. You're actually acknowledging that he is in control. Because, for example, I'm a teacher. When a student asks me a question, they think I have the answer. Mm. Most of the time I do, some of the time <laughs> I don't, and it's awkward, right? But in the same way, when we question God, when we ask God a question, we're acknowledging that he does have the answer, that he is in control. And that's what Job did. Mm. He wrestled with this. And then he comes to a conclusion in Job 42, is it? Yeah. Um, and he he says, do you, want to, do you want to read that out? Do you yeah. want to elaborate on that? Job 42 verse 2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted, which is huge. It recognises, Job recognises that God is in complete control. And you're right, he did go on a very long journey and he did question God in the process of getting to that conclusion, but his response was to acknowledge who is in control and to trust God. Exactly. When everything was torn apart, he got to the end of that book, how many ever, whatever, how many years it was, and he said, no, no, you are in control. And who am I? Who am I, a mere human, to question the eternal God? Yeah. The omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God, the creator. Um, and so moving forward, we've highlighted a whole bunch of issues a whole bunch of talking points when it comes to control and even what the Bible says about control. But moving forward, we really need to identify the base sin of all this. And quite simply, you said at the start, the base sin is pride. Yeah, I think pride is definitely what it comes down to because in the end you're saying, God, you have a plan, but my way is better. And that that comes down to pride just thinking that your way is better than God's way. Exactly. And so to overcome this idol of control, we need to pursue humility. Yeah, because humility is the antidote to pride. Humility is recognising how small you are in comparison to such a great God. It's knowing exactly where you're placed before the eternal creator. And that's really important um, that we recognize that, that we foster an attitude of humility because that's, in my in my opinion, that's the best way to tackle pride. Wow. Yeah, and when we, when we look at humility, you have to look at Jesus. Yes. You must look at the example that Jesus set for us because Jesus had complete control. Mm. In the Gospels, there are countless stories of him having control over sickness, over the weather. He calmed the storm. Mm. Over general like physics, you know, he walked on <laughs> water. He had control over absolutely everything. Why? Because he was God. Yes. He was God on 
earth. He had the full power of God, yet he was human. And as a human, he had control because he had the spirit of God, yet he gave it up. And that's the that's the craziest thing because here you have somebody who actually has full control and yet he submitted to the will of God. He surrendered his control to God. And I think we see that really well in Gethsemane. Hmm. You see Jesus who is on his hands and knees sweating blood. His friends have fallen asleep when he asks them to pray, stay up and pray with him. Um, he's sitting there and in anguish he cries out to God and he asks if there's any other way, God, like if there's anything else I can do, like take this cup from me. Does it have to be the cross? Does it have? Is this the way that it really has to go down? And he questions God and he asks God to do things a different way. But in the end, after he's been raw and after he's been real and after he's questioned, he gets to this place where he knows that God's way is the best way and that he is willing to submit to that. Yeah, and I think that should be our posture. Yes. When it comes to control, when it comes to humility, Jesus in Gethsemane completely shows that. Yeah. And that should be our posture towards God. God, not my will, but your will be done. Mm. So, Ash, thank you so much for joining us today. Do you have any last sort of words that you want to uh, talk about or say to us as a community on the idol of control? Yeah, absolutely. I think something that we should remember in thinking about this is that giving control to God is actually a good thing. That's good news for us. We should be excited about that because God is trustworthy. I mean, who would you rather be in control? Someone who's finite of 18 to 30 years with limited knowledge and experience, with a track record of making mistakes and letting people down, who's prideful and has a sinful nature? Or would you have somebody who was all-powerful, all-knowing, with infinite wisdom, who is both just and merciful and who is in very nature love, would you rather have, wouldn't you rather have that God in control? Awesome. Thank you so much, Ash. We're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for, for coming and joining us today. It's been awesome to firstly get to know you, but also get to know how God has been working in your life and how you've come to a realisation that giving control to God is the best way to live. So thank you so much for listening, guys. Remember, renewal in our generation must start with a renewal of our hearts. Each episode of the Generation Podcast has been brought to you by 10 amazing people from St. Paul's Castle Hill. Specifically, this episode on control has been brought to you by Ashley Lee Joe and Samuel Heinrich. Thank you so much for your faithful service.